0: You know, one of the things um, that Jesus consistently did, and was just doing over and over again that we see if you read through the Gospels with his first century followers, um, was he put them into positions to do things that they weren't able to do or weren't capable of doing, or he would ask them to do things that they were not capable of doing, and it was usually met with this, um, this kind of reaction from the disciples of like you're joking, right? Like, you want us to do what now? Uh, we, we, Jesus though, you know, we, we can't do that. And he'd be like, yeah, no, go do it anyway. Um, if you're someone that watches the TV series, The Chosen, there was actually a scene like this from this, uh, this current season where uh, Jesus sends out like his disciples in pairs of two. And he's like, hey, you're going to go to the, the surrounding villages and stuff. And basically he tells them, you're going to do the things that I've been doing. So I want you to go out and I want you to uh, teach people and I want you to heal people. And I want you to cast out demons. And they're like, you want us to do what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, go, go ahead and, go ahead and do that. Um, and, and, and they were put in this position, this situation where they're like, we can't do that, but you're telling us to do that, so I guess we have to go do that. And it, it came down to this, are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to have confidence in me or not, even though you can't actually uh, do this? They had to have faith in Jesus. That's what we're talking about in this series. You know, we started a couple of weeks ago, it's called Faithful. We're talking about what does it look like to have faith in Jesus, because that was his agenda for his first century followers of Jesus. It's been his agenda for every follower of Jesus from that time on, for me and you here today, if you're someone who's a Christian or following Jesus, like, I want you to have faith, confidence, trust in me. And, and so often we misunderstand what that actually is. Sometimes we'll treat faith like it's just blind belief, just like, yep, just believe with no evidence. That's not faith. And faith isn't hope or optimism, just like, I hope things are going to work out. That's not faith. Faith is saying, Jesus, I've seen enough of you. I've heard enough of you. I've had enough of the experience with you. You've proven yourself faithful over and over and over again, so I can trust you. I can trust you. That was his agenda, and it continues to be today, which explains his invitation to people. His invitation to people has consistently been, come follow me. And you're like, but where are we going? Don't worry about it. Just come follow me. When are we going to get there? Don't worry about it. Just come follow me. What are we going to do when we get there? Don't worry about it. Just come follow me. Jesus, what's it going to cost me? Yeah, it's going to cost you a lot, but come follow me anyway, because it's worth it. His invitation was, come follow me. Will you trust me? And it's kind of sadly and, and understandably so, but over time, especially in our context, in our culture, in Western church, American church, we've boiled follow me into an invitation to just come believe in me. And believe in me is a lot easier. Believe in me doesn't cost me anything. I can believe in. I can just like, uh, here's me before Jesus, here's me after Jesus. All believe in me does is is I just sprinkle a little Jesus on who I used to be and there's no like, there's no heart change required. There's no following him. There's no sacrifice. And and for many of us, this was very much my story, we were handed a version of just believe in me Jesus and that resulted in a very dead faith because like it doesn't seem like this makes a difference. It doesn't seem like this works. It doesn't seem like this changes anything. And maybe that's caused you to possibly walk away from faith or just kind of be like, yeah, I still believe, but I don't know where I'm at with all of that. Or what we're increasingly seeing is people who used to be Christian or stand outside of the faith say, you know what? I knew a bunch of Christians, and they were the believe-in-me kind, but then I looked at their lives, and they were jerks, and they were judgmental, and they were hateful, and they didn't do this thing that Jesus said was the most important thing of love your neighbor, and so I don't want anything to do with that. Believe in me, faith, doesn't change anything. It doesn't change me. It doesn't change the world around me. It doesn't bring hope or healing or life to myself or those around me. But follow me kind of faith in Jesus. Man, that changes everything. It It makes us come alive. It transforms us. And that can't help but spill out into the people around us and change the world for the better. And so the question is, how do we get that? How do we get that big, like, yes, I'm a big, bold, active Jesus, I'm coming after you kind of faith? So that's what we're talking about in this series. We said there's five kind of things that lead to that, or five faith catalysts, and a catalyst is something that speeds up a reaction, it's something that intensifies a reaction, and that, I think that's good terminology for this, because at the end of the day, like God is the one who works in our lives, he's the one that changes us, he's the one that shapes us, he's the one who's redeemed us, it's his spirit working in us, but there are things that we can do to kind of put ourselves in a position for that to happen. Say, okay, like I, here I am, God, for you to do what you will do. So that's what we're talking about. Last week, we talked about the first one, which was practical teaching. Um, that anytime someone will, will share a faith story, there's usually some element of, uh, you know, my faith came alive or things really started to change. Um, whenever I, I started going to this church or I got into this Bible study or I got into a small group or I started having conversations with this person and, and like the scripture was presented to me and taught in a way where I could actually understand it, where it's like, oh, there's this story that's, that's been moving in history, and it was pointing and finding its fulfillment in Jesus, and now I need to, to respond to that. Like, I understand it, and now I need to do something with it. I was given handles to, like, grab a hold of the teachings of Scripture, the words and the ways of Jesus, and go, this has implications for my life. So practical teaching today is kind of similar to that. It's a little bit downstream of, of that. And, and today I want to talk about this idea of personal ministry. Personal ministry. Here's what I mean by that. That whenever people um, tell their faith story, there's always some element. When it's like, here's where faith came alive, here's where it became real to me, here's when I really owned things. There's always some element of, you know, I was in this season and I started serving somewhere. I was was in this moment and I started uh, volunteering. I was in like, I stepped out of my comfort zone. That's always a, a really big thing. And I did something that I was like, this isn't comfortable, I don't know if I can do this. But I went and I served someone, I gave of myself, and I loved someone um, in Jesus' name. It, like people will tell stories about how, you know, there was this neighbor that was constantly on my heart and like I started this relationship with him and started pouring into them or I felt this, this, just this passion, this desire to work with like the next generation of kids and students and pour into them and, and set them up for success and, or, or there was like this, uh, this nonprofit that just had my heart or I went on a mission trip and like my world got turned upside down because of that where there's this internal nudge that would say, sign up, step up, serve. And there's that thing you couldn't get away from, and uh, as Christians, we would call that the Holy Spirit being like, go, go, you got this. But what's interesting is at the same time you have that nudging, there's a louder voice usually that's, that's saying things like, yeah, but you can't. You don't have what it takes to do that. You're not, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm too nervous. I'm in over my head. I'm not prepared. Or here's a big one. I just, I don't have time to do that. And yet, all the while, there's that voice that just keeps saying, yeah, but I want you to. I want you to do that. I want you to go do that. And there's this tension. And what happens is when we say yes to that little voice that's nudging us, and we're also recognizing, but I can't do this, but I said yes anyway. Oh, no. I'm in this place where I am so reliant on God to show up. It's like, man, if you don't show up here, I am up a creek. And he does. And faith explodes. And you're like, how did that, ha- how did that work? I didn't do Okay right? And it's just faith just comes alive. And so there are are all kinds of examples of this throughout scripture and and throughout Jesus' interaction with the disciples. There's a lot of examples of this kind of throughout uh, history. You know, when you uh, look at different Christians who've done major things throughout history, there's always some sort of story of like, I never thought I was starting this big movement. I didn't think I was doing this big thing. I just said yes to this little thing that I wanted God to do, and he took it from there, and the world changed. And so I want to look at What would probably be, I think, maybe the most famous example of this, of an interaction with Jesus and his disciples and something he's teaching them through this, Um, and one of his most famous miracles, it's the only miracle outside the resurrection of Jesus itself, the only miracle that all four uh, gospel writers record, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all record this, Uh, and it's very famous. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. We're going to get ourselves familiar with it here this morning, and it's known as the feeding of the 5,000. So there's a, a huge crowd. Jesus feeds them in a miraculous way. Uh, if you've been tracking with us for a little while, we actually we actually talked about this, I think, like last summer as we were going through the gospel of John. We looked at his account of that. Um, and we're actually going to get back into John in a couple weeks, for those of you who are wondering. We'll, we'll get back to that for like another, I don't know, two years or something. <laughs> we're getting there. But for today, the Feeding of the 5,000, I want to look at Matthew's um, account of this. So we're going to jump in, so let me, let me set the scene. Jesus and his disciples, uh, they're out kind of in the middle of nowhere, and there's a huge crowd of people there with them, and Jesus has been healing people all day. He's been teaching people, and it's getting late in the day, um, and that's kind of where we pick things up. We read this, Matthew uh, 14, starting in verse 15. When evening came, the disciples approached him, Jesus, and they said, this place is deserted, and it's already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. All right, so there's a problem that they see, right? The disciples are like, okay, we have an issue here. There's a tension here. There's like, And we need a solution. And they do something kind of smart, right? They go to Jesus and they're like, we got a problem. We know the guy that can solve this. And so Jesus, will you do something for us? Can you solve this situation? Now, I don't actually know this, but I think there's a little selfish motivation here with the disciples as well, because it's like, Jesus, the crowds are really hungry. I would imagine they're probably hungry too. I know if I was in their shoes, that would be my primary concern. I'm like, Jesus, should we get some food, you know? I wouldn't mind myself, but really it's for them, right? And so like, Jesus, can you do something? They ask him something, and I love what Jesus does, because he's so good at this, of turning things on its head. And in response to their request, he asks something of them instead. Instead of saying, okay, sure, here we go. He's like, how about I ask you something? And so Jesus tells them they don't need to go away. This massive crowd of people doesn't need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. Well, that's unfortunate. (gasps) (laughs) It is, okay. You give them something. I'm not as accurate with my pointer finger. You give them something to eat. Jesus asks them to be part of the solution. You guys are like, hey, listen, you brought a problem before me, and that's great. You know, It's great that you bring your problems to me, your concerns to me. That's wonderful. That's a good starting point. But how about you be part of the solution as well? Because how often do we do this? Not just on a faith journey, but just we're good at this in the world and in general and culture and society. But like We're really, really good at pointing out problems. I give up. We're really good at pointing out pro- oh my goodness. There's a problem, guys. We're really good at pointing out problems. We're not always the best at saying, yeah, but I want to be a part of the solution. And here's how I'm, I'm going to do it. I can't do nothing for this, okay? Like, that's a problem that I can't fix. But he's like, hey, I want you to be a part of the solution. And the crazy thing is, though, what he's asking them is impossible. Like, it is, it is not even in, within the realm of possibility. They don't have any food themselves. How are they going to feed a crowd of 10, 15,000 people, it's not possible. John, when he records this miracle, he actually uh, tells us, he gives us some more details that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He knows he's going to do this miracle. He knows this is going to happen, but he actually asks them to feed the crowd because he wants to test them, his, his disciples. He's like, this is, I'm trying to do something here more than just feed a crowd of people. I have an agenda for for my 12, these disciples, these apostles. I'm trying to teach you something. That's actually my primary focus here. The the point kind of is that you don't have what it takes, but do you trust me? And and so John also gives us this detail that that Andrew is the one who speaks up here. Matthew's just going to tell us in in a minute that just kind of broadly they, the disciples. But John lets us know it's actually Andrew who's kind of the spokesperson at this point. And apparently... There had been a a small boy in the crowd who overheard this issue or this question, and he brings his lunch. He's like, here, guys, I've got something that could help. Don't laugh at my Ninja Turtle lunchbox, okay? It actually comes with a thermos, too. It's got like a little soup thermos. Anybody remember the soup thermos? Man, I had some SpaghettiOs in those soup, soup, soup thermoses. Soup thermoses, that's hard to say when I was a kid. But the, the, this kid, he's like, okay, you guys are talking about a problem you have. Like, there, there's nobody nobody feed. I don't know if it's going to help, but, but here's what I have. Here's what my mom packed me today. And I, I can imagine, like, I, again, maybe this is just me and my brokenness, like, being like, oh, thanks, kid. And then just, like, tossing it off to the side. Like, what do you want me to do with this? Are you kidding me? What do you want, what do you want me to do with this? But they're, they're like, okay, this is Jesus. Maybe he'll do something. And so they kind of tell him, hey, we, well, here's what we have. This kid brought us his lunch. And we've got five loaves, and we have two fish. And again, John filling in some of the details for us lets us know that these aren't like, when I think of a loaf of bread, okay, I think like hot bread out of the oven and it's steaming and the whole house smells amazing and I'm like, I should have baked more because I'm gonna eat that whole loaf myself. That's not what this is. John tells us that these are are small barley loaves. Um, and, And a barley loaf, like barley bread was for like, only like the lowest and poorest classes in society ate that. Barley was something usually given to the animals, but for the poorest of the poor, they would grind it up and they would make bread out of it. It was actually something more akin to like a cracker or like a really like a biscuit, just like a hard. I'm sure it was very shelf stable, right? Like it just it was not something appealing, but you know it, it gave you the nutrition. And he also says small fish, and the word he uses, little word obsaria, it's a very specific kind of fish. They're small pickled fish. Like think like sardines. Doesn't that sound yummy? And here's here's the crazy thing. The, the, the fish wasn't like the main meal. You think like, oh, nice flaky fish dinner with a nice warm slice of bread on the side. Nope. Like the the, the fish was was meant to kind of flavor the crackers. Like you, you know your bread is bad when you gotta flavor it with pickled fish, okay? I think I'm not eating today, right? This is, but this is the, the point is it's the, the, the smallest, most meager thing for like from the poorest of the poor little kid who's there. It is comically inadequate, is is the whole point. It's like, this is, it is laughable. Jesus, I'm embarrassed to even bring you this, but this is what we have. And that, again, is kind of the point. And and what happens next, I want you to understand this if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and sometimes we don't think this way because we get like kind of sucked into the ways of like the, the way the world thinks, and we need big, and we need powerful, and we need strong, and we gotta have it all together. But what happens next is how problems actually get solved. Like, for a Jesus follower, this is how the world changes. It's how our families change. It's how our neighborhoods change. It's how, like, big issues in the world come to a resolution, and it is an invitation to all of us. They bring the little lunch, and Jesus is like, bring it here to me. Just just bring it here. Bring me what you have. I know you don't think it's much. I know you think it's laughable, and I know you were tempted to not even, like, tell me about it because it's it's so comically inadequate, but bring it here to me. I know it's just one little lunch. That's how we think is this this little thing? I don't really have anything. I mean, I shouldn't even say anything. I shouldn't even bring it. I shouldn't even offer it because you and I, we, we get our little lunches and we get so consumed with what's in the box that we forget who we're taking it to. Because like the point of the miracle, what it gets at, is like it doesn't, it doesn't matter what's in here. What matters is the one that you're bringing it to. And all of us have a little lunch box, right? We've all got our little loaves and fish. Loaves and fishes. We've all got different amounts. We've got different things. Our lunches don't look the same some of you when you were kids, you were like peanut butter and jelly crew. That was me. Okay. Lots of peanut butter and jelly at school. All right. Anybody else? Peanut butter and jelly crew? Anybody? Yeah. A couple of you. Okay. Well, my mommy loved me. Okay. So I'm not saying yours didn't, but mine loved me extra. Uh, she would take my little peanut butter and jelly sandwich and like use like a, a cookie cutter and like cut shapes out of it. Cause I'm like, my mommy loves me. She should have patented that, man. Like that is Uncrustables before Uncrustables was a thing. But had a completely different life, but anyway, um, you know, like some, so some of you were peanut butter and jelly. Some of you were, you know, there's a little apple in there or whatever. Some of you had like hit the like the, you were like the, the jackpot kid. That's like I've got a snack pack and a cosmic brownie and two packs of gushers. All right, and you were you were the person in the lunchroom that everyone's like, I'll give you a dollar for the cosmic brownie, and you're just like dealing, and you're like coming home with money, and your parents are like, Where's that coming from? I'm, like, don't worry about it. Okay, don't worry about it. Some of you were the bougie people that had Lunchables. Okay, we didn't have. No, I see you. I see, I see you laughing back there, Mr. Bougie. <laughs> Some of you know who I'm talking about, and I, I, won't, I won't call him out. But yeah, you know, we had different things. The point isn't what we have, though. The point is what we do with it, what we do with it. And so Jesus is like, hey, I just want you to bring it here to me. This is working again. I just want you to bring it here to me. You come to me with a problem. You have, you have something that you want me to do, right? You're asking me for something. And that's great. Don't lose that heart. Don't lose that, don't lose that initial response of when I see a need, I'm going to go to Jesus. Don't lose that, but don't stop there. Bring me what you have. I want you to participate in what I'm about to do. And for some of you, man, like you're like, oh, Jesus, will you please just do something big in my community? Will you do something in the neighborhood? Will you change things? And he's like, I'd love to do that. I want you to be a part of it. So you have like a heart and a passion for like the next generation. You see kids and you see teenagers and you're like, man, I just want them to flourish and I want them to know Jesus and I want them to have a great life. And, I, and, and like I just think they, they've they got to know him because there's hope there and there's life there. And he's like, that's awesome. I have that same heart. I want you to be a part of that. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. Some of you are part of that generation. Your kids and students in the room, and you're like, man, I'm, I, I see how broken my peers are and how hopeless, and there's anxiety, and there's depression, and there's addiction, and it, like, it looks like tomorrow is going to be a lot worse than yesterday was, so what are we living for? I just want people to have hope, and I want them to know Jesus, and you're crying out, and he's like, I love that you have that heart and you have that passion. Now, I've put you there for a reason. Go be a part of it. Bring me what you have. And we're like, ah, but it's just not much. Like, that's okay. That's okay. And so I would imagine kind of timidly, they're just like, all right, I don't know how this is going to go, but Jesus, take it. And he commanded the crowds to sit down in the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed them. And so he kind of says, like, a little prayer, you know, give you a little pre, pre-meal blessing, which is for the crowd's benefit, not for his, because it's like, Jesus, like, yeah, me and God, we're connected. But he kind of wants the whole crowd to see the, the relationship that him and the Father have, and what he's about to do is pulling his identity as, as God the Son, And so he breaks the loaves, right? That's the next thing that happens. He breaks the loaves and gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds. That seems like a a completely just mundane, like nothing special about that sentence, but that's actually like what the whole thing hinges on. What do the disciples do? They just give it to the crowds. They they didn't know how to feed a crowd of 10 or 15,000 people. But here's what they did know how to do. I can put something in my hand, And I can walk over here and I can hand it to you. And then I can do that again and again and again. They didn't know how the crowd would be fed, but they knew how to hand out food. They did what they knew how to do and trusted that Jesus knew what he was up to. This doesn't make sense. I don't know, but he's asking us to hand out food. I guess we can do that. And this is where their active faith, again, active faith, it says, you're you're calling me to do something and it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it anyway, where active faith intersects with God's faithfulness, something remarkable happens. In this particular case, the remarkable thing was everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So this massive miracle happens, but the point of the miracle isn't just the miracle itself. Like Jesus' miracles weren't like parlor tricks. They're like, hey, guys, look what I can do. Woo! And I was like, yeah, that's so awesome. Like, There was always deeper meaning behind it. When we went through this passage in John's account of, of this interaction, we kind of talked about how Jesus is fulfilling these uh, things. He's like of Israel and all that Old Testament imagery. Um, but what I don't want us to miss in this case is that he's doing something. He has an agenda for the disciples who are there as well. Like what he's doing, the miracle, yes, he's feeding people, and yes, he's fulfilling things, but with these 12 disciples, his apostles, who he's going to kind of hand the whole thing off to, him, be like, I'm out of here, and you guys got to lead this movement, he is trying to create in them faith, a trust in him, a confidence in him that says, I don't know how this is going to work, but I've seen you do it before, and so here we go. And as soon as this miracle is over, he does something right after that actually reinforces it again. And it's actually all, all kind of part of, like, the same account. And, um, one, one of the things I think is it's not always helpful, for the most part it is, but how our Bibles, if you look in a Bible and it's divided up into chapters and verses, a lot of times you'll have little subheadings as well. Um, and those are very helpful for, like, trying to find where you are and stuff. But sometimes it causes us to stop reading something, and then when we pick up reading again, it's like two separate events. And this is one of those cases where we we read the reading of the fi- we, uh, hear about the feeding of the 5,000, we're like, okay, that's over. And then the next thing we think is something different, but Matthew clues us in to know that it's not something different, because he tells us that immediately, immediately after this happened, so right after the crowds are fed, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So as soon as, like, the, the miracle's over, they're like, oh, oh, did you see what just happened? He's like, go, nope, go, get in the boat, go, start rowing, row, row, row your boat, right across that lake over there, go. I'm like, But Jesus, he's like, nope just, just go, trust me, go. He he does it immediately, and he tells them to go. And he stays back, and he starts dismissing the crowds, and he has some kind of solitude to himself. And and, and these guys, they're rowing across the lake now, right? It's the middle of the night, and they're rowing, and they're rowing, and they're rowing, and they can't get across the lake. Like, the wind is blowing, and it's against them, and they can't go, which I I would imagine would be, like, additionally embarrassing for these guys, because a lot of them are fishermen. This is what they're like, they should be good at this, and they're like, we can't. It. And so they're stuck out there in the middle of this lake. It's the middle of the night, uh, and keeping in mind too that they're, like, there's no light pollution, so it'd be like pitch black. Maybe there was a moon, um, but that wouldn't like reflecting off the water and casting shadows and stuff. And so Jesus walks out to them on the water, and they're just like, ah, it's a ghost!" And like they're just like flipping out, right? They're like, "Oh, we're gonna die out here!" And Jesus calls out, and he's like, "Hey, it's me, not a ghost. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid." And in that moment, Peter starts to connect some dots. He starts thinking back to what just happened with the feeding and the the miracle, now where they're at now, and he starts putting this together. And it's like, he's like, okay, Jesus, you told us to feed this crowd of people, and you knew we couldn't do it, but you did it. And then, right after that, you told us to go and row across this lake, and you knew we couldn't do that either. And so maybe you're trying to teach us something. Maybe you're trying to show us something. I think there's a lesson in this, that that we can do anything you ask us to do if we'll just do what we know how to do and trust you to do the rest. And so Peter puts his theory into test. And he says, Lord, if it's you, okay, still not sure on the whole ghost thing, but you know, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. If it's you, command me. I think Peter understands something that that we oftentimes don't, that he understands that what I'm about to do or the thing that I have in my head that I think I want to do, it can't just be my idea. Like this can't be something that I'm coming up with and just like, all right, Jesus, I'm gonna trust you. So Peter is not just like jumping out of the boat and being like, okay, here we go, I trust you, Jesus. I hope I don't sink. Because sometimes that's how we act, like that's what we act like faith is. We act like walking by faith is just like, I'm gonna come up with some ideas and hopefully God will put his seal of approval on it, right? Right? That's not faithfulness, that's foolishness. And so notice what Peter asks. He says, you need to command me. You gotta invite me out here. You gotta call me, because like, if, if, if this is just my idea, and I'm like, I'm jumping in, and hope you're, I'm hoping you're there, and it's not you, uh-oh. <laughs> but if you ask me to do it, and I know I can't do it, but you've asked me, and I'm gonna do it anyway, that is faith. That's faith. And so he says, Jesus, would you call me out? Would you invite me out? Would you, would you ask me to do something that I can't do? But if you ask me to do it, I know I can do it because I can't do it, but you can do it. And so Jesus says, come on. Sounds good, Peter. Come on out to me. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Peter does the same thing here that he had just done a couple hours earlier with the loaves and the fish. Loads in the fish. I don't know how to feed 5,000 people, but I know how to grab some stuff and hand it to somebody else. I don't know how to walk on water, but here's what Peter did know how to do. He knew how to climb out of a boat and he knew how to walk. That was the end of Peter's abilities. That was it. The on the water part is where Jesus came in. I'm gonna do what I know how to do and I'm gonna trust that you know how the rest of this is gonna work out. I, 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 my my abilities and my limitations—they are very, very present in my mind at this moment. But if you're calling me, I can do it. I can do it. If you know how the the account goes, Peter sees the strength of the wind and he's afraid, and beginning to sink. He cried out, "Lord, save me!" He feels and sees the strength of the wind and and is reminded of the impossibility of the task and reminded of his own limitations. When he loses sight of who he's walking towards, he starts to sink. And immediately, immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and he said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And now we're back to the heart of what the miracle is actually about. Peter, I'm trying to do something for your faith. I'm trying to get you to trust me feeding of the 5,000, it wasn't just so I could feed people, and and calling you out here on the water wasn't just so someday we could be like, dude, you remember when you walked on the water? I do, it was awesome. I mean, I'm sure there was some of that, right? But that wasn't the primary, the primary focus wasn't just to, to, hey, you want to see this cool thing? It's Peter, I want you to trust me. I want you to know if I'm calling you to do something, even if it seems impossible, you can do it. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Sometimes we give Peter a hard time here, Um, I've heard, you know, different teachings and sermons and stuff and where, like, the the point of the lesson is, like, you see, guys, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and sank. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let the storms of the world get you down. (laughs) Right? But I don't don't actually think that's what's going on. I don't think Jesus is is mad at Peter because there are 11 other guys in the boat. (laughs) He's the only one that actually seems like he might be putting it together and understanding of, like, Okay, I think we got this. I think we got this. And he falls along the way, which is a perfect illustration of what following Jesus is going to be like. But he's like, I think I understand. I think this is about trust. I think if you'll ask me to do this, I can do it. When Peter And when Jesus says, Peter, you know, you have little faith. I think it's like, oh, you were so close. You almost had it. Like, why did you doubt at the last second? You lost focus on what I can do, on what I invited you to. And you only saw your own limitations. Peter, just like the kid and his lunch and the lunchbox, you just bring me what you have, and I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. You do what you can do, and trust that I'll do what only I can do. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, or you maybe someday you will be, this is a snapshot of what the Christian life is like. It's just like, I'm Jesus, I, I, I can't do this. I don't have this. You're calling me to do something. I'm terrified. I am not capable. And he goes, just, I know bring me what you have. Just bring me what you have. There will come a point in your faith journey where you feel that nudging to like, oh, I need to do it. I don't want to. And he's he's pushing. He's like, you need to step up. You need to serve. You need to to volunteer. You need to get involved. You need to lead. You need to to make yourself uncomfortable. Because I think sometimes we can actually have a veneer of like, I'm doing what you called me to do. Yay. But it's actually really, really comfortable for us. Which is like, wait a minute. I don't know. Maybe there's something else because I don't know that I'm supposed to be super comfortable. And there'll be that nudging that says, I want you to step up. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to, I want you to, to say yes to this opportunity and whatever I'm calling you to, start giving of yourself. And I, I, we have no idea what rides on our decision to say yes to that. Like literally, you have no idea the ripple effect or whose life around you may be changed or how the world may be changed because you said yes to something, and and th- this is how these stories go, right? Like, you hear somebody that like made this massive impact that changed the world. And there was, there was, you talk to them or you read about them in history, and there was never like, I'm going to do this massive thing for God that changes the world. It was always just started with, you know, I felt like he was calling me to do this, and I said yes. And what happened after that, I'm not responsible for it. Like, that's, that's how this thing works. You have no idea what rides on your decision. I'm not, I'm not saying that all of you are going to be like, yeah, I changed the world because I said yes to this thing. I mean, maybe, that'd be awesome. I don't know what the outcome of that will be, but here's what I can say, is that in your own life and in your own faith, when you say yes to those moments and those opportunities and that nudging of the Spirit, your faith will grow. When you embrace that kind of like, oh, what's personal ministry? This is personal in me. I, I'm owning this. I'm not just here. Like, I'm owning this thing, and God is calling me to this, and I'm working, and He is working through me. And here's why that makes our faith explode, because personal ministry positions us to experience God's power in our weakness. It brings us to the place where we are made so aware of just how like inadequate we are. It reminds us oftentimes of our past and who I used to be and how could I possibly do this? Don't you know what I've done and who I've been? And, and don't you know I'm not the smartest and I don't have what it takes and I don't have the time? And, and, and on one hand, it, it puts us in this place where we're, we're reminded of all of that, but that's not where it ends because when we step up and we say yes, God does something and so it's like, he did this, not me. Like, his, it's his power in my weakness, because if it was in my strength, I wouldn't really get to see his power. And there's this beautiful thing that happens, and our faith becomes alive. It comes alive. You know, I, I can tell you um, that for me personally, this has probably been the thing of all the other things, of all the faith catalysts that we're going to talk about, they, they've all had a role in my life, but of the, the one that's probably made the biggest difference is this one. And part of that might just be because of how I'm wired. I'm like a doer. I like to do things. So it's like, okay, call me to do something. Okay, I can mark that task off. This is great. But, like, it's caused my faith to come alive. Like, and the season that my faith came alive and it became my own, you know, Christy and I, we were going to church regularly. We were pretty consistent. We'd even gotten involved in, like, a little Bible study group kind of setting. And so we had teaching, and we had a little bit of community around us, but faith was still just kind of, yeah, I just wasn't, you know, I was, I believed in Jesus, but I wasn't following him. And the thing that made it explode was when I started serving, that there had been a little bit of a nudge, like, you know, you should, you should do something you have something to offer, and I was like, no, 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 too busy, too busy, too busy owning a landscape business, leave me alone, okay, like, I got stuff to do, and then that little voice became audible, not through God, because I probably would have passed out and never recovered from that, right, it was through, it was through the voice of another person, that nudge got, uh, I could not avoid it anymore, I said, you know what, I think you'd be really great, like, in fit and serving with, in student ministry, will you, will you come be a part of that, and we didn't call them group leaders at that church, we called them sponsors, will you be a student sponsor, and I'm like, Everything in me was saying, no, 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 no. But the voice that came out of my mouth was, sure. And y'all, I was terrified. I felt so inadequate. I, had, I, didn't, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know anything. And nothing. I didn't even, like, at that stage in my life, like, when I was, would have been going through, like, student ministry and stuff, I wasn't serious about my faith. I didn't go to youth group. I didn't know. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And God showed up, and he met me there. And it changed the trajectory of my life and actually a lot of other people's as well because that nudge to help didn't stop there. Eventually, it led to me quitting the only job I'd ever known, the only thing I ever wanted to do, which was like landscaping. That's my thing. Let's go. And then there's this call that comes again. Yeah, I want you to step out. I want you to stop that. You go into ministry. now. my God, I want to. And I resisted that for like a year. And I met his faithfulness on the other side of saying yes again. Eventually, I led to a place that said, all right, you're, you're good and comfortable doing student ministry now. This is great. Hey, I want you to actually leave and, and be a part of this team that's going to go start a church. Leave the paying job. Leave the structure. Leave the security. Hey, you've never been a senior pastor before, but good luck with that. Like, figure that out. You know, I've only, I've only ever worked with kids and students, which explains a lot of how we do things around here, okay? <laughs> just being honest. And it was like, and I, this isn't just my experience. You talk to the team of people that were there in those early days. This is for all of us. And it's just like, I can't do this. And there have been so many stories in this church of baptisms and families that have been changed generationally and marriages that have been restored and people who found hope and healing and identity in Jesus. And every time we hear those stories, it is just a reminder of how little of that actually is me. I'm not going to be completely like, no, none of it was me because that's like a false humility. Like, no, like, I brought a little something to the table, but none of that. It was just like, here's what I have. And Jesus said, that's enough. And some of you are here because of that my faith exploded because of that. And I, as like, as your pastor, I don't want you to miss out on that. I want you to experience what God wants to do in and through you. And, and, and I know that sounds scary, and that sounds like, how do I do that? Here's how you do it. You just bring him what you have. You just bring him what you have. And you, we, we all have something to bring, something to offer. I know sometimes it's hard to see, but you've got something in your box. You've got, you know, some life experience. You've got some skills, maybe a little bit of an education in some area. You've got a story, even, of what God has done in your life. You have just a, sometimes what you have is just a broken heart for a group of people or a certain, like, you know, person or, or ministry. You're like, I just, I can't, I can't get it off my mind. you got resources. Bring it. For those of us that are, are Christians, like, there's this beautiful hope that says, hey, if you, like, Jesus hasn't just forgiven you of your sins. He's actually filled you with his spirit same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within you and his spirit gives gifts to the church to serve and to build up the body and to love the world around us. And so maybe you've got a gift of teaching or caring for people or evangelism or wisdom or or leadership or hospitality or whatever. There's a plethora of different giftings. Maybe you're like, I don't know what that is, but maybe this is the start of a journey and says, I want to figure out what that is because I've got something in my box and I want to bring it. For me, the only thing I had in those early days was I got a little bit of business experience, some leadership and communication abilities, and a broken heart for people to know Jesus, but that's all I got. I've got nothing else. And Jesus met me and said, that's enough. And he wants to do the same for you. So, what's in your box? That's the first question. Second question is, are you willing to bring it to Jesus? Are you willing to step in and embrace this thing called personal ministry? And there's two major areas I, I want you to consider and I want you to think about. Number one is just outside of these walls, in those moments god keeps nudging you to love somebody to do something to step up to get involved maybe it's a neighbor maybe it's a nonprofit, uh, maybe it's like uh, taking someone under your wing and mentoring or discipling someone will you do that the other area is just simply within your church if this is your church home i want to challenge you to serve in this church for a couple of reasons number one i mean the church is described as a body that everybody has a part to play if one of us isn't like operating and loving and serving in these ways, we're missing something. But also, you, you have no idea how that may help in the faith journey of others and what may God might do in your life through that. And so now is the point in the message room where i to go ahead and plug like, hey, we would love to have you volunteering. You can sign up to do that today. Um, you can pull out your, your phone right now or at any time during the week or whatever, click on the little next steps launcher, and you'll see volunteer and a a host of different areas that you can um, say you're interested in. And if you're not good with tech, you're like, I don't know if I can do that. You can go back to the lobby right after the service today, um, and and our great guest service people will help you um, through that. And here's the thing. what I want you to know is if you do that, I'm not, you're not like signing up, like you're not signing your life away and saying, I'm locked in to like, you know, do this for the next five years. It's, It's none of that. It's just the beginning of a conversation to say, you know what, I think I want to use my gifts to love this group of people and love the community around us. Help me find a good fit. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simple, practical way of saying, okay, Jesus, here you go. Here you go. I don't know how much I have, but can you please do something with it? No matter where you, where you find that happening, whether it's outside these walls or within them or hopefully both, don't miss out on what God wants to do in your life and through your life by stepping into personal ministry. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Um, that even though we are <laughs> we are broken people, we are frail, we, we have our weaknesses, we have our limitations, and <laughs> we are reminded of that all the time, and yet you invite us to be a part of what you're doing. So we thank you for that. God, I pray that you would be moving and working in us through the power of your Spirit pray you'd be transforming us. I pray in those areas and in those things where we're feeling that nudge, where we've maybe been resisting for months or maybe even years, God, I pray you'd give us the boldness and the courage to say yes. That we'd be the kind of people that could, could stare it in the face and say, you know what, I know my weaknesses and I can't do that, but you're calling me to it. And so I'm gonna say yes anyway. And God, in that, would you meet us with your faithfulness? Would your power be made known in and through our lives?